Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. All right, everybody, and welcome back to episode 67. We've got a special guest on this week, Mr. Keith Johnson from KJ Sawdust. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Woohoo! Wow! Is that welcome, Keith? Was that on your little paperboy bike? A little bell there? I like that. <laughs> my brass bell goes oh. with my brass balls. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Was that 3D printed? Or you no, found that? No, no, I can't. I can't print in brass yet. Yet, but I'm working on it. I'm All right. working on it. You know, it's <laughs> it's on my list of things. You know, um, Keith. What, why don't you tell us what your dominant skill set is? Well, currently it's furniture making. Uh, well, that's that's fantastic so, because yeah. we've never talked about that. <laughs> this, it's convenient. Yes. And that works for me. Glad he didn't change that on the fly. That would have been awkward. And up until... <laughs> uh, no, we, we would have just run with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what What skill class is furniture making? As far as a number, or what do you mean skill? Uh, how, how, or a color. You, you would you yeah. would know. I mean, you're the furniture master here. Okay. Well, on like a, as far as my skill level, on like a zero to ten, I'm not sure what the metric conversion is, but imperial around a six point five, I would say. Six six and a half. You mean for imperial? Six point five would be metric, I think. Oh. Okay. Yeah. No. No. Six point five. Oh, so. I think. Yeah. Six three eight feet. <laughs> Oh. Six and three eighths. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that pretty, that pretty, sounds about right. Yeah. Pretty sure the units board feet. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, and well, it's that, surprising that how many on. woodworkers do not know what board feet means, because most people, I think, most yeah. beginning woodworkers are buying at either you know Home Depot, or Lowe's, their lumber, and that everything's sold there by the linear foot. So when you when you tell them, oh no, it's board foot price at a lumber yard, it becomes a little more difficult to figure out why does this cost so much. Well, or, you got to explain it to them yeah. like a five-year-old. Listen, the difference between bored feet and excited feet is huge. <laughs> oh yeah, but I'm gonna I'm yeah, gonna walk if, you through it. If the guy it at the counter has excited feet, then yeah, you, yeah. You, yeah. your deal is gonna be totally different than if he has bored feet. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Hold on a second. How do they? How do they? Oh my God, this is a stupid question. Maybe. How does the metric system sell hardwood? Do they also do bored feet, or do they do like? Board meters, <laughs> cubic board cubic meters. meters. Yeah, I don't know. Board centimeters. How has this never come up? Because we don't care. I have to figure this out. <laughs> That's how you buy them up. We don't care. You PJ, call on me last. This is now my research. Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> All right. All right. Let, let's let's move into the research and fun facts segment. Uh, Keith, did you do any research on furniture making to share with us? I, I did a little bit. Um, and now, are you guys Seinfeld fans. Most. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. A little okay. bit, sure. A little bit. Okay, so way back season two, there was Kramer put moose in his hair. So he then called it his pre-moose and his post-moose. Now, the moose wasn't didn't make his hair stand up like we know today. It was kind of flat and looked kind of like a serial killer. But anyway, I kind of define furniture now as the pre-epoxy river table and the post-epoxy river table. <laughs> I really want to go back... To the old day, the good old days of the pre-epoxy river table. Yeah. Um, but one of the kind of most, not most influential, but an influential style of furniture for me is was shaker furniture, which was 
Back in the 1800s, they were a religious sect uh, in the Northeast. They were actually the first to try mass production in furniture. Uh, and they're mostly characterized by clean, simple lines, no ornamentation like you would see on like a Queen Anne furniture or a ball and claw foot, none of that. Just tapered legs, kind of wooden mushroom knobs, very simple and clean. They harvested their own trees on their lands, whether it was maple or cherry, beech, pine, and just very simple, elegant furniture that looked nice kind of in any setting. It didn't, it almost went with anything. So, and if you've, I've been to Hancock Shaker Village in Massachusetts, and I think Instagram and all the social media, they, 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 I don't say glamorize, but everything has to look so perfect. Even a hand cut joint is, it's just not perfect because it's cut by hand. Everything's are made by hand, not a machine. And if you look at one of their pieces of furniture, the dovetails, there's huge gaps. There's literally pencil numbers on there that they numbered all the drawers. They're not sanded. Uh, the bottoms aren't sanded, you know, whereas now everything, need, each element of a piece of furniture needs to look like a piece of furniture. And I, I kind of blame that on social media, which it's kind of pushed me to be a better furniture maker, to make things a little bit better, to look better on camera. But when you look back, guys didn't do it that way. They did it for function, and, you know, it was to look good, but also more, more so for function and utility uh, over perfection. And that's where my research ended. <clears throat> this, this brings up an important question, Keith. Um, is, is this where the shaker baby syndrome comes from? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, Wikipedia did not mention that, so not sure. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I, I know that it, that's a bad thing, and, um, you know, you can get arrested, so don't, don't do it. But, uh, but it's... Don't. it's it sounds like it goes hand in hand with their furniture. I mean, they, they could be known for good things and bad things. Uh, yeah, I, you I don't really asking. know what goes on behind the scenes. That's true. Yeah, I mean, it, it could be that that's how they were finishing those drawers. You know, maybe they were sticking the kids in there and just shaking them up. Those kids are kind of oily, you know, when they're little like that. But anyway, <laughs> let's, uh, let's move on to Tanda. Tanda, what research did you do on furniture making? Well, that's kind of interesting, just reflecting on what uh, what Keith has said. You know, I, there, I think there are probably a lot of historical crafts that were done, they were very utilitarian, and the actual resulting products of the day, if you went back and looked at them, were probably not near as refined as as the people duplicating it today. Mm -hmm. Um and, and so that's just kind of an interesting note that there are probably many crafts that if you went back and looked, what we think everyone did back in that day was like the perfect one that was done by the top craftsman of the day or was done for show, whereas what was actually being delivered on a day-to-day -day basis was, was completely different. So that's, that's interesting. The research I did was... Um, to kind of look into furniture styles because I have no idea. I, um, I'm not someone who could look at a piece of furniture and say, oh, that's a, you know, is this style or that style, or I prefer this style. Um, and so I thought, well, I'll look through and see, you know, just what some of the different furniture styles are. 
and I'm not going to list a bunch of them. I just, uh, I found one that I thought kind of described any furniture I would ever make and, uh, not so much, um, you know, in any great detail, but from 1567 to 1900, there was an English style called Jacobian furniture, uh, inspired by Elizabethan furniture. And this style is very sturdy, large in size and made to last. It was also considered uncomfortable. I thought, now if I made furniture, that's probably, (laughs) that's probably how people would describe any furniture I made. And then it goes on to say ornamentation varied with craftsmen, refining some while overdoing others. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, how I would make furniture. I'm going to stick with, I'm going to stick with that style because that's just how you would describe anything I would make. So mm-hmm. that, that was, that was my research. I didn't want to do a lot of research because that would give Tom too much time to do his research. And, <laughs> and, and yeah. then we wouldn't learn about any kind of metric board feet. Um, so that's, that's what I have. What do you have PJ? Well, you know me, I've researched furniture superstitions and I found a couple. One's a stretch, but the other the other cup they're they're solid. There's some solid ones in there. I got I got four. So the first one, which is kind of a stretch, is mirrors. Mirrors are kind of furniture. They're they're like sort of I don't know maybe adornments, but they're I think they're lumped in. You kind of buy mirrors where you buy furniture. Uh, mirrors can steal your soul. That's that's the first superstition which um i don't don't really want them to but apparently where do they put it they don't have pockets you can crack them open and get it back out oh well you know if you do get your soul back out by cracking it open then you get seven years of bad luck so just just that's not a woodworking superstition though so it doesn't count Mm. that's true that's true well it's a mirror superstition well, we're not talking about woodworking. We're talking about furniture making. So actually, it does count, Tom. It does count. But <laughs> moving right along, this one is definitely furniture-oriented. Uh, evil ghosts sit in your rocking chair. Did you know that? I do now. So th- I don't have a rocking chair. What about a recliner? No, it's specifically rocking chairs. Uh, it lazy, is, it's a chair. lazy spirits. It is a chair. If, it's a chair that rocks, though. If it was a chair made of rocks, that might count. You know, mm, like a okay. granite. It's important. I have three. I have three recliners in my house, and well, well I'm, I'm, I'm trying tomorrow. to warn you. Are, here, are Tom. any of them really, really a rocking chair? Yeah, they all. They, yeah, all three. Yeah. Mm. Oh well, then you probably haunted and you didn't know it. That's mm. probably what Maybe you heard po- upstairs. Maybe just poke around a little bit before you flop down in them. You don't want to. You don't want to like squish would... a ghost. It's been it's been a decade. I I feel like I've adapted to whatever haunting might be happening, so I'm all right. Mm-hmm. Well, that explains and, and a lot of the noise in your recording. And you can't blame any smell in the recliner on ghosts. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, um, according to the Irish, uh, they've long believed that uh, rocking an empty chair invites dark forces to come sit in it. Uh, however, if the chair moves on its own, that's even worse because a malicious spirit has already settled in and may bring death to your family. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So if you see a rocking chair like rocking on its own, you should just walk up to the front of it and flip it over backwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's the solution. Yeah. Get Nothing that bad's going to come from what's that. What's coming to them. Yeah. yeah. There's never any positive superstitions, are there? Um. We haven't run into any, have we? We've been doing this 
for nope. 67 episodes. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> the next superstition is you can wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Bed is furniture. Uh, this saying basically says that if you go, uh, let's say you get into bed on the right side, you have to get out on the right side also. You can't get out on the left side or that will create a bad day. Mm, I consider the top side of the bed the right side and, and the underside the wrong side. <laughs> that improves my chances of getting out on the, on the right side of the bed. You, you keep thinking that, Tanda. <laughs> All right. And the last superstition we have here is shoes on the table could lead to death. Now, at first I thought that this was death by mom, you know, like you put your shoes on the table, your mother's going to whack you over the head with a frying pan, but that's not what they're talking about. They're talking What if it's a river table? They're talking and their water and their water shoes. Definitely going to die, for sure. Okay. Yeah. For sure. But yeah. not for that reason. Oh, there's something I haven't seen. You should put a little pair of galoshes in the epoxy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just cup, sticking cup out holders. at some random spot. Yeah, like somebody holders. got them yeah. stuck in the mud and just, uh, yeah. So that's, that's your next, there. start the next trend, Keith. Just have, have a river table with galoshes in them as cup mm-hmm. holders. And they just, they stick up out of it, you know, like somebody was walking through the puddle. And I think that's a thing. You could probably do it. I believe or in a you. muddy, muddy river table. Yeah, <laughs> mud tables, mud table. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, according to this superstition, uh, it's from they believe it's from old mining traditions, uh, where when a miner died uh, in some sort of uh, you know mining related accident, his shoes were placed on the table as a sign of respect. So, if you do that when you aren't dead. Your tempting fate. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, and that was it. That, that was uh, was a short list of superstitions. Not a lot of uh, not a lot of things to worry about with furniture. I I think that all of these tie back to what you said earlier. I think they were all things that mothers just made up to try to keep their kids from doing things. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Sitting too close to the TV will make you go cross-eyed. And well, maybe that one's true, but. And yet, I think there's some, I think there's some phones, merit in that one. You know. I feel like there might be. Yeah. <laughs> there might be. Um, so I found some stuff. You want me to talk about my stuff? Yeah, Tom. Tell us about your stuff. All right. So this is a very difficult topic to look up on the internet because within three messages on a forum, they just start fighting about metric versus imperial. <laughs> so I did find a few things, though. It looks like uh, one one guy said uh, we buy it either by the cubic foot or cubic meter in the Q- UK, but he spelt meter wrong. He inverted <laughs> the R and the E. Uh, it depends on the merchant and the buyer. It's pretty easy. To there fit. should there should be a filter when you Google something in the US that switches those around. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's pretty easy to flip between uh, one another. Uh, blah 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 using 35.31 feet cubed per whatever so and then another guy said in the UK softwood is sold in millimeter sizes before planing so if you buy a 50 millimeter by 25 millimeter section of wood um, aka 2 inch by 1 inch and it's actually about 
47 millimeters by 22 millimeters. It sounds like it dropped three millimeters on both dimensions there. So similar to, um, to how we do here. Nominal you, and actual. Yeah, you but buy a wood at a nominal, unplaned. Right. So they a, a lot of people said cubic meter, which I think is about 420 board feet, which is a ton. Wow. But they simply use a decimal, right? They simply use a decimal then. Um, and one guy said... Um, metric is better than imperial and his example was how many feet in a mile do you guys know 5,280 5,280 <laughs> you're so smart how many feet in a mile and a half mm. 5,280 plus 5,280 <laughs> divided by 77 two. oh no sorry 7820 <laughs> yeah, yeah something like that uh which was clever but who cares so that's my answer i don't um, care yeah yeah i don't care um use what you got and uh, just make stuff and shut it. But that's all I got. The, the day that I make something that's a mile long is the day you need to come get me. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Howdy, y'all. It's time for the 3D Filament Fandango. All right, once again, we got the Filament Fandango because no dealer's corner for the second week in a row. Not for lack of trying. I, I, There's someone that listens to this podcast, and I hope they feel guilty. I found something that was not local, and I said, hey, could you get this for me? And they're like, yeah, I can. And then they waited like four hours to message the people, and then it was gone. And I'm like, you waited too long. And then they didn't respond. So I didn't get anything. Mm-hmm. Basically, that's my roundabout way of saying if you, mm-hmm. if you want something done, you got to do it yourself. Anyway, speaking of doing it yourself, we're back to the 3D printing. Tom's been super busy with his octopus tripod thing. I'll let him talk about that. Uh, I am – I'm going to put it out there to the listeners because hopefully the person I want to talk to is listening. Some time ago, maybe two months ago, I made a knob for an X5 Delta jointer, and I can't remember who it was for. <laughs> I, I I sent them the knob like they got it when it was done, but now I need pictures of it on the jointer, which I never got, and I don't have them. So if this is you, if you're the person, <laughs> send me a message with some pictures because I want to sell these, this you know. This happens a lot. Yeah. This this happens a lot with Instagram. It's tough when you like like I have really good conversations with several people and I just a week later I have no idea which one that was. I mean, and I'll have another conversation with that same person again, but I just don't remember all the things for all the people. It's too many. But it's okay. Most people are cool and they Well, and and if they have a screen name that's not their name or Right or is difficult to remember or whatever. Then and you've never seen their face. And yeah, or you haven't met them or something. Have some kind of context. Then it's uh, yep. I mean, I've 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 met people before at WorkbenchCon, and just because they were, you know, tall and thin and had squarish glasses, P- hey, I thought <laughs> I thought that they were. Uh, um, oh, wait, is Keith the P- your yes, PJ? Yes, Keith. Oh, I forgot. I yeah, forgot. Yeah. So I met Keith <laughs> at at the first WorkbenchCon. Yep. Um, and, uh, we had a, a brief conversation on the bus between the warehouses and the hotel or whatever. And then I think you and I and Tom shared a, a car back yes, to, the to the airport, airport or right. something. Yep. 
And yeah, so I was yeah. like, um, you guys still owe me for that. And by then, the way, like oh, weeks later, I started seeing some of PJ's posts on Instagram, and and there was this you know tall thin person, and PJ has round glasses as of the last couple of weeks, but he had kind of square square glasses, and I was like. Oh, this is that guy from from WorkbenchCon, <laughs> and somehow I kind of I kind of permuted those, and then so you know roll forward a couple years, and uh, and PJ calls to ask if I want to be on the podcast, and I'm like, oh yeah, I know you. We met at WorkbenchCon, <laughs> and I am so sure of it that he goes, I don't think so, and I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure, and he's like, I didn't I didn't go to WorkbenchCon, and I was like, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like asking him, are you sure you didn't go and forget you went to Atlanta just yeah. randomly? Um, but uh, then I finally like figured it out and put that back together. But I yeah. forgot that he's your PJ. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. So ironically enough, awesome. um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Keith, uh, you and I have never interacted before. That's, That's correct. correct, isn't it? Yeah, this is the first now, time. I know I'm following oh. you. Are you following me on Instagram? I don't know. I don't I don't know. I don't think so. I don't I don't to be honest, I don't follow uh, uh, many people. Real, real quick, Keith. Yes. Keith, sidebar. Okay. Sidebar Keith. I'm here. Yeah, just me and you. Yeah. Uh I I I need to know your secret. Um how how have you avoided PJ all this time? And do you think I can reverse what's happened in my life? to be more like you there's instagram has this awesome feature called mute now <gasps> so anybody oh, you don't want to interact really? with does you it? don't see their posts or anything yeah does it really it's free too it's a free right. service i'm gonna uh i'm gonna i'm gonna do that right now and if for some reason i get disconnected or pj gets disconnected when i hit that button we'll just finish up the episode it'll be fine got it but uh, oh you know what they're coming they're coming okay. back um PJ, what were you saying? So uh, I I don't remember exactly how it was that I got like uh, introduced like visually to Keith, but somehow or another I started following you, and I, I mainly when I follow people I I look at stories. I'm not big on like posts, you know. I mm. see them, but mostly I look for stories. And my initial impression when I'm looking at your stories was, who is this overly excited game show host that's making furniture? <laughs> Because that that's every single story. It's like, hello, and what we're doing today? And I'm like, oh, my God. I like he's it. way too happy to be making furniture. I don't know what's happening here. <laughs> and then it's like uh, you, you just kept popping up with, like, other people. And, like, I know you're doing something with Paul, and I'll talk about mm-hmm. that later. Um, but, yeah, yeah, the two – this is the first time we've ever spoken. So right. That's uh, – it's the beginning of it's something the... special right here, J- uh, PJ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to yeah. go back to my square framed lenses. I think these, these round lenses are not going to work. What was this segment about? What were we supposed to be talking about in this 3D segment? 3D printing. Oh, 3D, 3D printing. printing. Right. Don't vary from it. Oh, hey, PJ, no. PJ oh, yeah, will flag you if you vary from it. It's all about 3D <laughs> <Yes>. printing. <laughs> Stay in our lane here. So anyway, I got back from WorkbenchCon, and just so I wouldn't forget, I made a little 3D printed model of uh, of Keith uh-huh. and a little 3D printed model of PJ <laughs> so, that, so that I could keep... Make sure that I I didn't you know con- oh, conflate them awesome. again. Yeah. Are they bobbleheads or just regular? Oh, stiff. They're the same model. Okay. I, they, I, you know, well, they weren't <laughs> they weren't designed they weren't designed that way. But once she named them, it just kind of happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tom, why don't you tell us about your your three D printing <clears throat> escapade? Well, no, you know what? Never mind. I'm gonna go. So. Uh, <laughs> oh come on. Go ahead, Tom. 
No, no, go ahead. No, now I'm now I'm not ready now. Uh, I have now. The, I have the smallest amount. All right, amount. so I made a thing. Oh, you no, you go ahead. It's okay. You go ahead. <laughs> the only thing that I have is my TPU came in yesterday. Okay. Oh, nice. So uh, this was this was my backup TPU. TPU is flexible filament. Yeah, it's like a, an elastic filament. So I ordered two, and the one that showed up was my backup. It was not the one that I wanted. I, I had to order two to get the free shipping because otherwise my soul burns <laughs> in hell. And uh, so this one, when I looked on the, the spool, it said that the temperature range was from 190 to 230. And I'm like, what? That's way lower temperature That's... than what I was expecting. So I'm like, I could probably print range. this with the PLA without having to do any kind of funny tricks with the temperature change or nothing. So I'm like, we're going to check it out. I'm going to bump it up to 195, and I'm just going to print a layer of PLA, and I'm going to print the TPU right on top of it and see what happens. And I did it super slow. I, I slowed it down to 30 millimeters per second. And I was hoping that would avoid any stringing or anything like that, which it did not. There was stringing. But it did print with no like major issues uh, beyond the fact that this was for the SD card, the micro SD card holders, and apparently TPU shrinks a little. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, that's not, okay because it stretches also, so you can stretch it back out to put the cards in. It, it shrunk in the wrong direction. Uh, yeah, so now the cards go in, but then they fall out. It's not holding them snugly like I had hoped it would, so now I need to actually make the slot like 0.1 millimeters smaller or thinner and print a test again and see if that will work. But it did print, which was the, the thing that we were trying to figure out if it was even going to work. And it did. So uh, that's that's it. Other than uh, I've sold a couple of the parts for the the Delta upper bandsaw guide assembly, um, I, I don't have anything else for my uh, 3D printing week. So it's on you, Tom. Hmm. <clears throat> I got I got two little updates. One is I had the idea for um, a new SD card holder, and if you can hear it, the little clicking, I bought. SD card sockets. I didn't talk about this last week, did I? Nope. Oh, you you I'm having flashbacks? To you nothing. bought like electronic, like you would put on a circuit board, so they'd snap in and yeah. snap out. Awesome. Yes, I bought a whole bag of them. They're super cheap, right? And you can actually embed them in your print, just like you would a magnet or anything. These I just pushed in, and they pushed in very nicely. And uh, I mean, it's a little, my little sample here is ridiculous. You would never need five SD cards this tightly put together but um this might pair into my other thing that i made this week which is uh i'll describe this to keith because i'm sure he hasn't seen i it. have i saw it in but your stories keith, and you have a buyer when that oh, thing nice. is ready because i want one yeah please. i'll i'll send you one for twice the price for being on our Sweet. show i really appreciate free it. shipping um <laughs> uh yeah, we'll talk okay. about it um, negotiable <laughs> I'm negotiable. Um, so um, this is, what would you describe the shape as? There's four circles in the shape of a peace sign. So there's one in the middle where your camera will mount to. There's a quarter 20, you know, thumb screw that you can put in from underneath. And then the three circles that are spread out in the peace symbol, not quite the peace symbol, um, equidistant from each other, have really freaking big magnets in them. 
And I was able to hang my Canon ADD from this tiny little mount on the ceiling. Like, it held it, no, like, seriously, no problem. Like, mm-hmm. you know when you're, like, on the top of a really tall building or a tower or something, and you want to take a picture of the landscape, and you stick your camera a little bit out, and you get really nervous even though the strap is around your wrist? I didn't even have that feeling. Like, it was solid. It was on there. And um, I just got new magnets, which are twice as thick, but the same circumference. And they're, they're a little terrifying, and I'm not sure it's going to work, but um, I just got it because the other magnets have, like, a really big metal casing on them, and it's not all magnet, so I wanted more magnet and less casing. Mm-hmm. But anyways, um, this thing is nearly ready for um, to be listed on my website, but it now, is Now, you've, it been, is you've been playing with that quite a bit. Are you seeing any degradation of the... TPU where you're bending it and twisting it and turning it is it stretching cracking doing any weird stuff or is it holding I up would pretty say, well I mean you I so think you've been doing hold- more than people would typically I I want to say I haven't done enough to say that for sure but like I can twist like I have one in my hand right now right and I can twist this beyond what you would possibly do and it comes back oh wow yeah it'll even fix itself for the most part, like I definitely deformed it a little bit just now, but don't right. Do but that. it didn't. Like you, but it didn't tear. And and for those listening, right. if they've seen, so Tom's device is like a little three-legged device where the legs are like an equilateral triangle. You know, they mm-hmm. they go out in three directions, 120 degrees apart. And there's a magnet at the end of each leg, and in the center there's a quarter twenty mount, so you can put a camera or whatever. And then the three legs sticking out maybe a couple inches you can use that to stick it on things and it's flexible so you can bend it around a corner or a round pole or whatever and he just right. twisted one of the legs around about five times and then untwisted it yep. and it didn't didn't tear or anything and i didn't realize tpu right. um printer material which i think is thermal polyurethane um i didn't realize it was that forgiving i thought it would i thought it would tear or start to delaminate or something so that's good so i would say that the so delaminating right when the layers separate i would say this is the strongest filament i've encountered as far as layer adhesion like i can't pry the layers apart like even so if i pull like down on this Mm -hmm. i don't know if i'm really doing what needs to be done to rip this apart but i'm trying right there's no way yeah no it's really strong Right. And these little arms that attach the three magnets, the little legs that attach the three magnets, they're only a centimeter wide and two millimeters thick. And uh, I played with the thickness of it a little bit because I didn't want the magnets to just flop down and constantly be magnetizing to each other where you have to constantly be like prying them apart to use it. Mm -hmm. With the bigger magnets, I might have to thicken it up a little bit, but all the same properties should still be there um i want you to be able to just grab your gopro rip this literally rip it off of wherever it's stuck to and slap it on something else without peeling magnets you, apart you know, something that might be useful would be um mm-hmm. like a little finger tab on the outside of each leg just something to or, or is it easy to grab a hold of because just something on the outside where you could get a hold of it and peel the magnet off if you didn't want to just grab yep. the whole thing and pull it off 
might be a useful I, addition. So two two answers. I like the idea. Maybe it's something I should add anyway cuz why not? Maybe that's it the wouldn't, answer. It wouldn't take but much, al- just a little also, something to get a hold of. Right. But also the whatever you're mounting to this I'm not afraid of grabbing a GoPro on a GoPro mount with a quarter 20. Like I'm not afraid of grabbing that and like ripping that off. Like I don't think you're going to break anything there. So your concern is kind of breaking the thing that uh, is attached to this? Well, I mean, just a lot of people aren't going to grab their expensive camera and just use it to pull three heavy magnets off of something. They might want to just like mm. kind of peel a couple legs off so that it's a little freer. And Or I'm just picturing someone wanting to do that. So I think, I think you're right. But if you can get, I, if you can get a no, hold of them somehow. No, well, yeah. There's no reason not to add a little tab on each one. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with that. It's it's almost no more pro- plastic, and it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't get in the way. So why not? Um, so I like that. Tom. <clears throat> oh, I, the other thing is this, this. So this one doesn't have magnets in it. I cut them out, but um, you can also store it. They will, if you fold them completely over on themselves, they'll all stack and magnetize into a little package that you can just then throw in your pocket. Yeah, and then when you walk, and then when you walk by, and then when you walk by your table saw, your pocket will stick yeah, to your I'm just table imagine saw. Like so that's it, also yes, it pulls my get, zipper down because the magnets are so strong or something. <laughs> right, just just rips yes. your pants right off. Yes, you walk yes. you walk by a low metal bench and it just pulls your pants down. Right, right. I already thought about um, shipping them because normally mm. something this size I would just throw in like a bubble envelope, and I'm like. Oh, that's going to get stuck to the underside of some UPS truck for the next yeah. 20 years. <laughs> going to have to put a pacemaker yeah, warning on there. You have to, you have to, you have to, have to print, a, them in a, print a little, yeah, print a little suspension thing that suspends the whole, yeah. suspends it in the middle of a little bit larger box. So right, it's just kind of right. floating in space in the middle of the box. And then yeah, you have to exactly. think of making that thing useful. Right. Tom, I got an no. idea for the So that's what I've been arms. doing this week for printing. Yeah. So the, I know because you've printed other things that are out of the TPU that have become thick and sort of not flexible. So right. the thicker you make yep. those, the more unflexible they're going to be. So my idea is, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you said that they're um, it's a centimeter wide. Is that what you said? Two centimeters. Oh, oh, it's the strap. Yes, a centimeter wide, two two millimeters thick. Okay, so leave it two millimeters thick, and instead of instead of thickening that all you're going to do is you're going to make like let's say two or three lines that are elevated another millimeter going from one circle to the other and what that'll do is it'll mm-hmm. give you more thickness but it will it still give you the flexibility because it's not solid it's only so a like line mm-hmm. parallel parallel arms mm-hmm. above each other well yeah it's, so I it's thought, think of I like a street of like a like street ribs. like how you've got the painted lines mm-hmm. On a street, you're just you're just making lines on the on the arms so that they're 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 thicker, but it's not thicker uniformly. You know what I'm saying? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I, th- I didn't know what you were saying, but now I understand. Like a spine. So don't yeah. So don't right. So don't yeah. Okay, a spine or a rib or mm-hmm. a yeah. Mm-hmm. I can play with that. That's a good idea. Yeah, you can even make it like a little U U channel or. Yeah, or, right. have, or have multiple ribs. Yeah. Oh, oh. So to tie these two things together, 
Sorry. So the micro SD thing, I had, I don't know where I would put it at the moment, but um, I could embed one of these micro SD sockets into this so that you have a spare card with you all the time and you can just click it in and out um, as needed or just other things. Like I just, I think the idea of embedding a socket into the print instead of just the micro SD card sh being shoved into the print, which is what I did previously, um, is a nice option, a nice tactile feel. Yeah, that's kind of that, cool. That's, if there's, if there's room for one in the base. Yeah, that, but that's going to cause a whole host of problems, Tom, because those magnets are going to wipe the chip. No. No, I Solid don't, don't think so. Tanda. SD cards are not yeah, it's, magnetic. Yeah. Oh, really? The uh, SD cards aren't yeah. are immune to... Uh, I did Google that before I started messing with this stuff because, you know, my old knowledge of earlier computers but i do think you should computers, make one earlier. scaled up that will fit a five and a quarter inch floppy <laughs> <laughs> and, and a television camera so instead I of a quarter instead of a quarter 20 mount. it's got like a shoulder mount camera and yeah. then in the base yeah. of it you incorporate a five and a quarter inch floppy holder that's yeah. awesome a vhs uh insert yeah you may need a bigger printer <laughs> and Put a real V put a real VCR in it. Right. For those for those listening who didn't catch it earlier, you know, your typical SD card slot in any device that takes an SD card kinda has this push in, push out function to it. And what Tom's done is bought the or purchased the um things that you would normally Socket. solder on a circuit board to make that happen. And he's embedding them into his three D prints so that you get that push in, push out of an SD card. Um, in, in the holder that's embedded in the 3D print, which is very cool. I bet you're fixing to find your own Fandango, ain't you? All right. It's time for personal history. Keith, you're our guest. How did you get started with furniture making? I grew up in New Hampshire on this 100-acre farm and we rented the place we weren't farmers and out in the there was all these outbuildings it was a huge barn and then there was an outbuilding that had stacks of milled lumber and my friends and i used to grab that and take them into the woods and build tree houses not really knowing what we were doing but they were because of this house we were renting that was an old farm there were tools everywhere saws hammers whatever you needed at my disposal that I wasn't supposed to take. So I really started to, I had no knowledge. No, no one in my family was a builder or a furniture maker. My grandfather was a, a kind of a tin knocker, a union um, tin knocker. My dad was a Navy corpsman. Like no, nobody influenced me. There wasn't a workshop around me when I grew up. So I just kind of picked it up. I don't know how. I used to, we, where we lived in New Hampshire, we didn't have cable television, so we just had, you know, one of those little UHF dials that you could dial in, and since I lived in New Hampshire, PBS was one of the only stations that would come in, which was this old house, a new Yankee workshop, so growing up, I was watching those all the time, and I just got a real interest in building things with my hands, and I was so excited, I remember in seventh grade, that in eighth grade, I was going to be able to take shop class. So when I finally took shop class, we, we did so many different things with power tools, hand tools. We did metal work. We did lathe work. So it just opened my eyes to everything that was possible. And 
literally from that day in eighth grade on the first day of class till now, it's just kind of been my journey. It's all been self-taught. I took some classes maybe a year ago at the school in Connecticut, which was great. But up until that point, it was all books, magazines, TV shows, just kind of learning as I went. Uh, so it just shows that you can be self-taught making furniture. However, you pick up a lot of bad habits. You learn. Like, I can get from A to B, but a lot of times A to B isn't a straight line. It's a parabola or whatever going up and over. Or it would have been a lot quicker if I had known, if I had been taught different ways. And there's really no correct way to do anything. But if I had been shown better ways of doing things, I inevitably figure it out. But sometimes I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> you mm. just need someone to say, hey, do dummy, you... just do it this way. Oh. Yeah, I was I was trying to think of the most complicated way rather than the most simple way. Do you recall eighth grade is about thirteen years old, right? Yeah. Um, do you recall what motivated a thirteen year old boy to want to do woodworking? Like, do you recall what that was for you? Was it just playing with big tools? I loved making things with my hands, and I still do today. Like, I love building something, mm-hmm. making something stepping back and saying wow i just built that and you know you can't take that away from me and like i didn't have to go buy it Mm -hmm. i took some raw materials and tools and i made it into something useful that's really like it's so rewarding and prideful for me very cool so when you what was the the do you remember the very first thing you made in that woodshop class Yes, we did a series of projects, and I wish I, I thought I still had some, but I, I think they've been thrown away. But we did a tic-tac-toe block, which was actually kind of a neat project. You basically took a chunk of a 2x4, and you cut lines in it like a tic-tac-toe board. And in the, the squares where you would normally put your X's and O's, you hollowed those or just kind of use a countersink bit to make a little depression in there. And then you put marbles in there to create your create a tic-tac-toe board and in the side of the block you drill the hole and you screwed in a little piece of wood that you could spin one way or the other that gave you access to that hole and in that hole you stored the marbles and when you weren't Mm -hmm. using them you spun that little um, piece of wood to hold everything in and then so it was like a little mobile game that you could bring with you we did that we that's great. We did a cribbage board that we cut out of the, in the shape of New Hampshire. You know, and back, we weren't using a drill press to drill. I don't know how many holes are in a cribbage board, but it's a lot. So everything was with a little egg beater <laughs> drill, doing all those holes. Um, and I remember that was out of pine, and it cupped horrifically bad. It was a canoe mm. like, probably a month later. So <laughs> we weren't really taught about wood movement and things like that and making sure you have properly dried lumber um but so that and i think in the metal side we made we had a break so we used some sheet metal to make a little box with a lid on it and we actually i believe we melted some what do you normally like pewter or pewter or lead yeah yeah oh god maybe you know maybe it was lead that would explain my lead poisoning (laughs) (laughs) that that we couldn't figure out where it came from so you know you make uh I think you what pack it with sand uh, around a little shape, and then you pour in the lead or whatever, and then you, it comes out of the mold. And and you could also do some self-directed projects, which was cool. I remember I made the shadow box out of wood with a piece of glass in the front for my grandmother to put her little tchotchkes in and hang it on the wall. 
so it, it became to the point, okay, what can I do next? And then when I got to high school in ninth grade, I was able to do a self-directed study class where I built like an Adirondack chair and an entertainment center for all my tapes, my cassette tapes. And it mm-hmm. just kind of kept going, 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 going from there. So what led you to the furniture? Well, I mean, like the chair that I built, that's furniture. An entertainment center, that's furniture. I mean, all those things. Like I didn't – actually, in high school, I worked for a contractor doing windows and siding and decks and roofing. And that stuff's – you know, it's okay. It's useful, like around the house. But it, I didn't get any kind of gratification out of it. But while I was doing that in my – in my spare time, my sister had said, hey, I need a new dresser or bureau or whatever you want, a chest of drawers. And she couldn't really afford anything that she wanted. I said, well, show me what you want and I'll try and build it. So she showed me this picture from this company in New Hampshire called Pumpanusik Mills. They do a lot of shaker style stuff, which I was mentioning earlier. So she sent me the picture and in my spare time, I started building it in my boss's shop using his tools because I didn't have any of my own at the time. So built three giant drawers, built this dresser with legs and a mirror. Uh, as you were talking about before, the superstitions about mirrors. Hmm. Makes me think because mm-hmm. I still mm-hmm. own that mirror. It's starting and to come together. It really is. Is it broken? It is not <laughs> broken. So <laughs> that's where I just, I love being able to make furniture that you can pick up and move and it's utilitarian and it looks nice and from there i did do some built-ins and which i like too i like i like cabinetry like i follow a lot of cabinetry accounts people think it's silly it's just like boxes with trim around them but who did who did you just do built-ins with or for i'm doing one for my sister yeah i'm still not quite finished (laughs) but Ah. yeah for my sister that's been an ongoing project for a long time but there's you know, but I do have a big one <laughs> coming up next. It's like a 15 footer, 10 feet high, 15 foot long. Like all uppers are riffs wow. on white oak, and then the lowers are all kind of painted. So I'm working with a partner of mine, Kevin at Fine Point Cabinetry, to build that giant project. So I like doing both. I like furniture. I like the built-ins. And yeah, I don't know. Hopefully that answered your question. Oh yeah, yeah. For well, sure. we're just trying to get a little peek inside. You know, I know that you're. You're doing a little bit of work uh, with uh, with Paul over at Copper mm-hmm. Pig. You guys have a little project. Did you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So that Paul, together? right. So Paul and also Derek from Malden. We, I was at Paul's house, and Paul is, it's probably the most creative guy I know. He has so many cool ideas, and he's one of these guys that he has so many that he can't get them all on paper or build them all, and. He got himself a CNC probably a year ago, and that opened a whole nother world for him of being able to create shapes and designs and patterns in his little... He doesn't really build large furniture anymore. It's more smalls like boxes and keepsakes and everyday trays. And he showed me a picture of a cabinet that he called the Stadia cabinet, which is kind of looks like a giant pill, I guess. The top is, is rounded, semicircle, and then it goes down straight a little bit and the bottom's a semicircle he's like yeah i always wanted to build this i drew this about two years ago i said let's do it so we talked to derek we talked to total boat because we wanted to use some epoxy and the inlay and it just started kind of spitballing from there we were we obviously had the design for the shape of the cabinet but then it was like well what do we put in it as far as shelves and to store glasses and bottles and what's the door design 
And it's been an ongoing thing. You know, he lives in Boston. Derek lives in outside of Boston. I live in New Jersey. So it's a little difficult to <laughs> collaborate on the daily or the weekly basis on, on this project. But when we started last fall, I think, you know, I spent days resawing all the lumber for the bent laminations and building the forms and then gluing those up. And then we took it to Paul's house and we started doing all the interior with the with the CNC carvings and we're doing a lot with brass powder and epoxy inlay, which you may have seen. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. he's done a lot yep. and he's influenced me <laughs> a lot. So it's these collaboration projects, which if you guys have worked on them, I, traditionally I like to work alone. Um, but when you do collaborate with someone who... <laughs> I guess I don't want to say better, but has like a different skill set than you, but you also share, you know, you can say, hey, you do this, I'll do that. And you don't have to worry about mm -hmm. it. You know, it's going to get done right. So it, it I yep. think it's important yep. with these collaborations to kind of work with someone that you can trust their abilities. Like, I, to be honest, I wouldn't want to work with like a beginner, like on a project. Like I wouldn't want to walk somebody through a whole project, um, at least at this point. So it's it's more fun to me to work with someone kind of on the same level, but where he's going to teach you stuff and I'm going to teach him stuff. But in the end, we're still coming up with this really unique project. So it's – I think when this thing is done, which we're very close now, all that needs to be is all the scraping and the sanding and then putting the finish on. So we got about two or three more days' work on these whiskey cabinets. But I think it's going to be something that we're – is unique the design is unique the doors are unique they're using the epoxy and brass powder and everything with the cnc work like it's just a really cool unique thing that if we build more if we you know we're going to be selling these so if we there's a lot of interest it is going to be a high price point so it's not going to be like <laughs> everybody's going to be falling over each other to buy them but when they're all done we've already come up with better ideas and you guys talked to izzy about was it productionization or what did you guys call it? Mm -hmm. Productionizing, yeah. <laughs> Productionizing. Yeah, close enough. Close enough. <laughs> so we went around and around on how to build these things efficiently. And, you know, we did bent laminations and joined those together. But then we were talking about, should we steam bend? And if you've done steam bending, it's, it's a lot of variability in steam bending with spring back and cracking. And you just, you know, the results aren't necessarily repeatable. So we've come up with another idea on how to make the cases uh, we think that will work better, will be faster. And now that we've done the interior drawers and shelves and we know how we did those, it it can become a production item where we keep certain things on the mm -hmm. shelf that are ready to go and be a la carte where the customer says, all right, I want this carving on the drawer. I want the door to look like this. And we just grab the case off the shelf. We grab this drawer. We carve that and and start building them and make it a lot faster. Like I... The amount of hours that we have in these, uh, it's really countless right now. I mean, just just right. just mm -hmm. to build the forms and and cut all those uh, thin bent laminations was for me was like ninety to a hundred hours, and we hadn't even started wow. anything. So, so you so you actually mm -hmm. can count them. You just were a little lazy. Well, I think after that, I can't count. <laughs> I have a, right. right. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, I don't have my little. I didn't have a little stopwatch. Are those metric hours or are those imperial hours? Ooh. What's more? Metric would be... <laughs> a, metric I don't would know. probably be more. I probably, think, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah, we're going to stick with imperial. Yeah. 
the so I, uh, that's cool. I was I was looking, I was perusing your page and everything, looking for you know sort of updated things that you've been doing, and I saw, and I'm I'm dying to know. <laughs> I saw you had the uh, the YouTube video with those two um, wall-mounted uh, uh, French cleat drawers, and mm-hmm. you were trying to open them up, and then one fell. Was that planned? So this this goes to I credit this design to Paul because he influenced me. So the these they're just walnut floating nightstands, a box with a drawer, but the drawer front we carved on the CNC with this Asanoha Japanese pattern that is solid in one corner and it starts to break off and fall the pattern as it gets to the lower corner. And my idea was as you lay down to bed your mind is like a solid state, like it's still fluttering and moving, but as you drift off to sleep, it starts to break away and you go to sleep. So that was the whole idea behind the design of the, the drawer front. So we built these, and what I wanted to do was have something that I can sell, like someone would order something from Etsy or whatever, and they're so, because it's a box, basically, it's very easy to just pop in another box and ship. Like regular furniture, to and people ask me to build it and ship it. Like it's just a whole thing, building a crate, making sure it's protected and it doesn't get damaged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't get damaged. So when I built these little boxes, they were just going to hang from a French cleat on the wall. It's simple, right? So everything was finished, and I actually put a coat of finish on the French cleat, so even that looked nice. And as I was doing the intro for the YouTube video, I hung both of them on the wall. And they were to my side, my left and right side. And the idea was, oh, and I made these with push-to-open drawer slides. So I pushed them with my hands, and then they came open, you know, just to show. So I, I did three or four takes like that, and they all came out perfect. And I was like, you know what, let me just do one more take. <laughs> Turn the camera on, <laughs> and I pushed them, and they opened, and the left one just came forward, fell right off the wall, and slammed into the ground into my oak floors. Just huge dent in the front corner of the case, huge dent in the front corner of the drawer front. And that reaction, that whole thing was 100% real. And normally I would just start stomping and cussing up a storm when something like that happened. But I was in such shock that I was frozen literally didn't know what to do except just fall over into the fetal position my wife was downstairs she heard the crash and like <laughs> tom you were saying before when you hear a crash upstairs in your kids and you don't hear anybody cry you know it could be bad yeah and she, you know it's you bad. know it's bad <laughs> and she didn't hear anything and from down low she's like are you okay and i just mu- yes like in my meek silent defeated voice <laughs> uh. So yeah, it's still sitting in ICU in the guest room, uh, waiting to be repaired. I haven't done anything with it because it wasn't for a client. It was literally just want, a bill. Do you want to sell it as a? Do you want as a second? As a scratch. Do you want to sell it as a scratch? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very dented. Yeah, and you know those so things what happen. Is, it, is it, Keith? Is it just the corners dented? Yeah, yeah. The front front corner like severely. You know, and you could, tr- you know, to repair it, I could try to steam it out, but I just don't think it's going to work. It may help a little bit, but probably not much. So I have I a talked suggestion. About, sure, hit I'm, me. 3D print a new corner. Uh, no, no. <laughs> so is it is it is it dented in the corner that's solid, or the dented where it's breaking apart the design? 
Uh, in the well, the actual case of the nightstand, it's dented in that, and then also in the drawer front. So in the drawer front, the design, uh, I think, I'm not even sure if it dented any of the design. I think it's just the wood itself. It it looks just barely. Um, for the for the listeners, mm. when when Keith says it's horrifically damaged, <laughs> this looks like. It's been in my bedroom for about four and a half minutes, and I damaged it. <laughs> so I could just say it was damaged no, in it shipping. Is, it, is, it is bad. I could sell it, get yes, the insurance, yeah. and say it was damaged in shipping. Yep, yep. So, Are you yeah. sure you want to put $3,000 insurance on this? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's true. So here's what I mean. I would it is do. it is Japanese inspired, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you so, could just, just call that wabi-sabi, right? And <laughs> just say... That's that's the imperfection in this piece, right? To show that it no, was it is, it is a brutal that it's lived a real life. Handcrafted. It's cer- yeah. Here's yeah. the idea. It certainly was a brutal fall, but um, you could someone would buy this thing. I know it's not. It it is it is tainted. It is like it's not brand yeah, new anymore, yeah. which sucks because you literally just made them. I, oh I yeah. You are a perfectionist, and that was my point. You are you you do fine 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 woodworking. Thank you. Okay, well, I think Keith. it's interesting that that people in the maker community just just lean into that because I just saw another Instagram post of yours like replaying just that portion mm-hmm. of the YouTube mm-hmm. video, and it's just like I, I I just think there's something interesting about that. It's like this isn't an ad. I'm a real person. Right. Things happen. People, you know, this happened. Mm-hmm. People, I'm not going to pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> they, well, they yeah. love seeing mistakes, and I and I totally get that because they want to see how you fix it. And they also want to, you know, you want to seem relatable to people. I make mistakes all the time. I know, like, the editing process can make everything look perfect. uh, But there are so many mistakes made, and I have to redo things. But you can't show everything and every mistake. I do show how I make some repairs, uh, you know, if it'll help people. And, you know, a lot of people ask, can you do a video on this when you do the repair? And I will. Once I figure out how mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. Well, I've but been trying to tell you for the last 10 minutes, but everybody keeps interrupting me. So oh, sorry. If, if everybody's done, oh, done giving ahead. advice, I, thought, I, I thought, could give them yeah. how to fix uh, it. Is everybody done? <laughs> oh, yes, okay. we're ready. Yeah. Uh, hold on. So, tan, tanda, Keith, sidebar? Yeah. I, I don't have anything to say. I just want to delay him <laughs> even further. <laughs> Make it another twenty minutes. This is brutal. This is brutal. I don't. I don't. I don't so care painful. what he says. But uh, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm yeah. just gonna say that's that's brilliant. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? Oh, let's 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 play play it out. Okay. All right. Oh, PJ, what do you get? What do you got for Keith? So the basics of that design is uh, triangles that you have. Mm-hmm. So the part that's damaged. Here's my suggestion, and this, this is without. I don't, I haven't seen a picture of the damage, but. This is applicable. Get some brass plate, okay? Something that you that's thick enough that you can actually um, cut into a, like a little bit of a relief. That you know you don't have to, but I think it would work better. The part that's damaged on the drawer, um, cut that down uh, the thickness of the plate, and you're going to cut the plate in a triangular pattern. You know, like a like an isosceles triangle or, you know, whatever whatever would fit the space that's damaged. But before you attach it, make sure that you um, put on the CNC and cut out the negative mm-hmm. of 
the triangles that you're covering up and then take a little little strips of it's, that's made out of walnut right yes so cut some very thin strips of walnut and um, put them into the triangles that you've cut into the brass and then secure them from the back with screws so that way you know enough you don't have to rely on glue and then you mount the entire thing so all the parts that are damaged now look like a negative it's still brass and walnut mm-hmm. but it, it but it transitions into a negative space where the walnut takes the place of the brass i see hmm it'd be a lot of work but it would be very right. unique <laughs> it would be a lot of work <laughs> <laughs> You're you're gonna need a shape or right. Yeah, right. I, I mean, you could you yeah, could ju- you could just fill need... it you could just fill it with brass filled epoxy, but it wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't yes. be what PJ said. So you're gonna have to you're definitely gonna need a shaper origin to be able to cut out the shape of the brass. That would help. It's, yeah, there's no other there's no other solution. You're gonna have to buy one now. Well, we had talked about Paul and I were because we were going back and forth with ideas how to fix it. Is if those corners, if we actually cut the corners a little bit as a taper. So you kind of put brass triangle wedge tapers like on the corners is like a new design detail. But then it gets into the, like, that's just not the intent I had for the piece was like excessive ornamentation either. Um, Getting back to the shakers, not excessive ornamentation. So I I don't, I don't know. That is a good idea. Um, I just need to, I need to try some things. Maybe I'll like, this, I'll sell it first and then say I'm you know leave it up to me to try to fix it but I'll sell it to you at a discount. I got I got one other suggestion for you because um I I was thinking about this when I saw it jump off the wall and I knew it was a French cleat. Uh, I think what you should do is replace the French cleat with a uh, from the wall a male dovetail and then a female dovetail on the drawer. So you actually put it in place and slide it on. And mm. that way you don't have to worry about it jumping off. It's still floating, but mm-hmm. now it's on there firmly. You don't have to worry about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think part of the problem with the French cleat in this application is, number one, it that it was finished, so it was super slippery. But that it's I think it's 16 inches deep and then when you pull the drawer all the way out it's another 16 inches so and it was only seven inches high so you have 32 inches coming out and only seven inches high it's exact it's a big seesaw it so uh, the real solution is just once you put it on the French cleat is to drive a couple screws into the mating cleat that's on the Mm -hmm. on the floating nightstand itself um, you know, but the problem becomes like when you, I don't know, you know, obviously all these big retailers sell these floating nightstands to people, but you got to find a stud somewhere when you're putting these on. I mean, I wouldn't rely on anchors or anything right. else. And it's that French cleat will fit exactly 16 inches on center, two screws, but who has exactly two <laughs> studs right next to their bed that are in the perfect <laughs> position? Like it just doesn't happen. You have to include instructions for moving oh, absolutely. Your bed yeah, the between right. studs and <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Here's a stud mm-hmm. included stud finder, and when when they're not aligned with where your nightstand needs to be, yeah, just slide your bed over. Or buy a new house. <laughs> Even better. Or sell one of those sell one of those little like golf ball grabbers with it. So you can reach the nightstand even if the studs are a couple <laughs> feet away from your bed. Right. <laughs> hey, we're full. We're full of solutions. She's all good here. ideas. You know, this reminded me of something that um, you can go find on the internet that's kind of interesting, but it it kind of combines the three D printing and the fixing. 
um, there was a, a meme years ago um, where someone took a like a concrete step or the corner of a building that had been chipped. There was a big hunk of it taken out of like a step. And I, I think it was um, to kind of show the, you know, the state of the art of photogrammetry where you could use your camera to capture a 3D um, image. And so what they did is they took the, the step and they captured a 3D image of this broken out chunk of step so that they now had a 3D model of the broken out piece of step. And then they modeled a 3D print to look like Legos that had filled in that big chunk of step that was missing. Oh, cool. And the 3D print was made such that it fit right in to where the big chunk of piece, you know, was missing. And it just glued like, or even just sat right in. But then it looked like this piece that was missing of the step was now replaced with Lego bricks. And so that was kind of, that was, that was really cool. And it just made me think of that. Um, and so I'm sure that's something Googleable that that you could find. Yeah, that's really uh, neat. And it was it was just kind of a fun replacement. And that's what I thought PJ was going was just like, don't even try to make it part of the, you know, incorporate it. I mean, that's not where he went. But I thought, uh, you know, just just make it something completely different, um, where it's just oh, this is a piece of concrete, and I repaired it with Legos. Mm. Yeah, but then Keith would die inside, and we don't want that. Yeah. No. My, my soul. No, that's... I don't know if it can take that. But yeah, I like the right. idea. <laughs> For the next one, when I drop the next one, I'm sure there'll be others. We'll, we'll come up with some creative solutions for this. Well, you're, you're going into production on these, yeah. so you probably, like, hire someone to just drop them at the end right. of the line. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that'd be so. the guy's the drawer dropper. That, mm-hmm. That's a completely yeah, there, different there's so on many the porno Well, that though. might be something different, the drawer drop. Yeah. That may be related to Tom's sure. magnets because people dropping their pants. Yeah, that'd be a good name for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking Definitely. of Tom, Tom, what's your what's your personal yeah. history with uh, furniture making? Uh, I've actually just scrolled through my Instagram feed because I'm not self-absorbed, but I think I've done more furniture than I give myself credit for. Um, the If you go way back in my feed, the first time someone paid me to make furniture, it well, this was more of a restoration, but I, it, it was tricky. It was woodworking. Um, they gave me all this antique uh, forged iron outdoor patio furniture. Did I say outdoor twice? I think I did. Um, and the benches were there was a two-seater bench and a three-seater bench and it needed new slats and that was pretty straightforward and and relatively simple uh the iron needed work too but i won't get into that here it's not the topic but they also gave me 10 folding chairs forged iron folding chairs that had curved 11 curved slats maybe five on the bottom six on the top i can't recall now and I took that job never steam bending before, and these needed to be steam bent. There was no alternative. Um, and I charged thousands of dollars to do this work for my very first commission in the woodworking world. <laughs> wow. And I pulled it off like a pro. Um, I just went for it. I was like, how hard could this really be? And it was super freaking hard, but I got it done. And I even, like, my price was right. 
Um, it was a little bit less than what they um, were hoping for, which, but only a little bit, so I didn't undersell it. Um, and uh, that was kind of the first time anybody paid me to do woodworking. Um, but since then, like, I've made a lot of stuff for myself. I really don't sell woodworking stuff. Um, I've, I've made, I made a coffee table, but I really don't like coffee tables. So it's a little bit taller and it doubles as a bench. So you can just slide it to the side of the room and more people can sit. Um, I've also made, uh, several pieces of wall art. I'm calling them art. I don't care what you think about them. (laughs) Um, but I've learned a lot about those things too. And then I've done... I've made a few tobacco pipes because that was kind of a cool experience. That's not I've furniture, made tons Tom. Of shop furniture. It's <laughs> not furniture. Oh, that's not furniture. I forgot. I thought we were on woodworking. Let me skip ahead. Hold on. Oh no! Go. If you did, I'm going to go through my entire feed now. If you haven't ever, um, if you haven't ever smoked them, and they're just furniture, right? I made mean, <laughs> yeah, sit on. Yes, exactly. They do just sit there. Yeah, because uh, I don't smoke them. <laughs> um, and I made my first dining table out of eight quarter walnut, which. It's just a bad idea. Like, it's so expensive. <laughs> and at the time, this was before, you know, the crazy prices. I mean, it's at least, I think it was at least $1,000 worth of walnut for that table. And it's a big, big table. And the uh, Woodbury blacksmith made the ironwork for underneath. Um, we, we had the intent of selling it, but it just, it didn't, it, we don't know how to sell things. <laughs> Uh, how do you sell like a $5,000 dining table? Yeah. Like I just, you got to consign it and then you got to give up half your profit and it kind of sucks. Um, I made a really cool desk for my kid. It's a live edge desk, but that's just cause it was like a piece of scrap I had and really need it to be live edge and it mounts to the wall and I welded the, the iron for it. And it looks kind of like a, a very simplified abstraction of a tree branch. Um, and I love that desk. It's just so, it's so perfect. And I painted the iron red because he likes red. Um, and I've made other tables and other things. Uh, I made a desk that my wife still uses for COVID working from home. Um, but like I've done all this to say, I have done more than I give myself credit for. I didn't, I don't think I realized or quantified how much furniture I've made good or bad. I've made Mm -hmm. it, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. I think so that that's that's, that's the most work Tom's ever done on this show. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> looking looking back through his own feed. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. <laughs> not the actual woodworking, Self- just the, the looking back just through his feed. Yeah. Like the research, the intent research was, of uh, of looking back at his Instagram. Yeah. I'm impressed. I even missed something. I made I found these old antique registers, um like air registers mm-hmm. at a at a garage sale. And I made shaker style, like side tables for a couch, um, with them in in set in them. I made a YouTube video on that. People don't even know I have a YouTube channel anymore because it's I haven't made a video in so many years. But um, that was a cool experience. And I just used pocket holes, uh, and it worked great. And now if I make another one, I'll make it. I'll probably use my domino. I'll never do real joinery. <laughs> just, the domino Some, is so amazing. Yeah, so, someone yeah. from the uh, yeah, someone someone from the past would come forward and they'd be like, "What is this amazing technology?" <laughs> oh, it's called a pocket yeah. hole. Don't tell anyone you use them. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Just don't. Don't tell don't anybody you use. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it a secret. Especially when the internet comes out. Yeah, just trust me. It needs to be kept a secret. Well, we're going to get yeah. off of Tom's work before his brain explodes from all the stuff he's just researched. Tanda, <laughs> what is your personal history with 
furniture building? I have very little um, furniture building history. I was trying to think of things that I've made that would be considered furniture. I've made some, um, I mean, in recent times, I've made outdoor um, outdoor cabinetry that was all a weldment and stainless steel. Um, that sort of is sort of furniture, sort of cabinetry. Um, I've done a lot of, you know, just a little like built-in type stuff, like built-in desks and so forth um, in remodeling, but they weren't really like fine furniture. They were like utilitarian built-in shelving units. Um, and the only piece of furniture that really comes to mind um, is when I was in college, we decided we were going to build the uh, the kneeling chairs, you know, that they were popular like in, this was probably in the uh, mid-80s where you, yep, Tom's holding his hands up with like the kind of tilt forward uh, seat and then the reverse tilt place where you would put your knees. And, uh, and we made a number of those and we just bent the frames out of uh, steel and then welded tabs on them to put on the, the woodwork and then we upholstered you know, the wooden pieces to make those chairs. And they were so heavy. Um, my, my sister had one that she just loved and she took it, you know, on numerous moves. And, uh, and I can't believe they lugged that thing around for so long because they must have weighed like 130 pounds or something. They were ridiculously heavy because they were all made out of, out of steel. Um, probably one of my worst, uh, metalworking injuries. We had those, uh, clamped in we were clamping this the steel rod in in a vise and then heating it with a rosebud tip and making the bends and somehow a number of chairs in I was making the bend and just rubbed my arm against the uh the the cherry red metal and just kind of it was the, it was tickle. the weirdest feeling but because it was almost like it was lubricated my my arm just kind of like slid across it because it just kind of melted my my skin. So that was uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah. after, after a <laughs> while, it wasn't uncomfortable at the time cause it like burnt right through the nerves, but healing, it was uncomfortable, but, uh, that's probably, I've got a big range hood in my shop right now that if you were to go back on my Instagram, you may see it. It goes in this, uh, um, kind of, uh, lodge style pine, house um all of the interior is open lodge style pine woodworking and i built this like nine foot by four foot pine beam range hood out of uh, iron and and pine and it uh it, it warped turns out wood doesn't stay where you put it the day you bake it. Um, <laughs> yeah, who I, I'm not. I'm unaccustomed to such things. You know, I mean, if you like weld something up, you don't come back a month later and it's it's changed shapes radically. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and so it it took a while with COVID and everything going on for the homeowner to have the opportunity to take this big massive thing down out of their uh, out of their ceiling over their range um, and get it back to me. But I have it back now, and so I'm uh, looking to make some kind of manufactured beam or something um, to replace the the raw pine beams that I used originally, which looked wonderful 
you know, when we hung it. But over time, they started developing a little bit of a curl and a twist, and, and then the whole range hood was kind of cockeyed. Mm. So, but, uh, so I'm, I'm remaking that. And so I've been researching how to make kind of engineered box beams that will look like pine, but will hold their shape forever. You 3D print it. <laughs> I probably, I'll probably just end up 3D yeah. printing them in pieces and gluing them together. Yeah. It's yeah. good. Yeah. Good thinking. That, that's what I would do. I, I mean, I think I'll, I think I'll probably just make like a, more or less like a hollow core that's uh, kind of like an ISO grid core, just cut out of plywood or something to give it some strength and then literally just laminate pine one by on the outside and then shape that so it still looks like a pine beam but stays nice and square because there's a stainless duct that goes down the middle of it that has to stay square. I got an idea. I mean, if I was a real woodworker, I would probably get some lumber that was like properly cured and and mill it down <laughs> and make actual pine beams that won't move, but but I'm not. Have you have you seen that um the advertisements for those wood patterned rollers? It's like a wood like patterns. a pink, Oh, a, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like a yeah, it's like a polyurethane roller, and you can mm-hmm. roll it across a pattern and then roll it on. Yeah, that's well, how I'll do well, the, the, the prints. The, the pattern is in the roller. You just put it in the paint, and then you roll mm-hmm. it on, and it only, yeah. you know, it makes like the— I was just thinking if you made, like, the whatever you're trying to replace, if you put, like, aluminum panels up or whatever instead of wood— you could just roll that pattern on, and then it would look like wood, and then it wouldn't work. <laughs> this, it's almost worthwhile. It's almost worthwhile to just take like some aluminum box beam, yeah, and and put some like wood tone contact paper on it, and take a picture and send it to the customer and say, "This is what I'm thinking." <laughs> just some like like shelf paper that's made to look like wood. Oh my god! There's bound to be some out there still mm-hmm. in I, some dime store. I was um, I was at one of the last auctions I was at. Um, I I bought this gigantic uh, wood. It was a, a red metal tool case cabinet, like a rolling cart cabinet, like a top and bottom. And right next to it, they had one that was like just a half a rolling um, drawer set. But someone had taken it was all metal, but someone had taken that wood contact paper. And meticulously covered the entire thing, drawers, all, like it was like they thought they were just making this thing look super duper. It was not factory. It was very obvious this was not factory. Somebody did this, and I'm like, that is the ugliest thing. And like, <laughs> it, 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 I, nobody. I, I think it sold for like five dollars because no one wanted it. <laughs> and this is this is like you know this would be like a hundred and fifty dollar rolling tool cart. But everybody was like, nah, nah, I don't want to, I got to pull all that stuff off and clean right. it. And I don't even want to touch it. So, but, uh, but anyway, um, uh, I, I think that's a viable idea, Tanda, the, the roller thing. I think you should, you should run with it. You, you think you do the roller thing? Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> it could happen. You know, they won't it, know. It could happen. It could happen. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, anything could happen. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's your history with uh, furniture making, PJ? The only furniture that I can honestly say I've made and sold, um, about four or five years ago, 
way before I was I was right at the beginning of the the my maker community awareness and I was still doing primarily film and television work and my main client was a friend of mine that had an office in New York City and she and her partner had moved into her husband's film office so she was running like an ad company out of one, like she took one room out of his uh, lower Manhattan office, and that was like her office. And she'd bought some kind of, it, it was, I want to say it was an Ikea table, but it was like, I don't know how to describe it. It was a top, and then it had like two legs that stood on each side by themselves, almost like sawhorses. It's kind of hard to describe. But anyway, um, something happened with the tabletop where it was just like, it didn't work. Like they hated it. And so she knew that I was handy. <clears throat> and she's like, hey, do you think you could make me a tabletop to go on these legs? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? And uh, I had been collecting uh, pallet wood for something. I don't remember. And so I got it into my head that I was just going to make this, this tabletop out of pallet wood. And I had this design in mind where it was, it was uh, sort of alternating 45-degree um, angles. So it would be like, uh, like a, imagine, that the, imagine you have something that looks like a, a door shape. That's, that's the dimensions. And you have like a the from like one corner over is a triangle of wood beams going in one direction. And then you make a 45 degree and then there's it's going the next direction. So it's almost like uh, triangular waves, I guess is the best way to put it. Mm. I don't Kinda know if like there's a herringbone herringbone pattern or not. It, it, it didn't fold back on itself like herringbone. It just kept alternating like sort yeah. of right and left or top and bottom. Mm -hmm. um, and it did that maybe, I don't know, five times. So um, I, I remember this very clearly. I had to lay this out on the concrete floor of my, my uh, garage. Like I didn't even have a table to lay this out on. I had chalk and I, I drew like a chalk line um, and, and like a box to figure out like the dimensions just so I could see like how, cause I had, a, I had to cut the wood and then like puzzle it together to see like what fit and what didn't. This is all like very like never done it before. And I can't even tell you honestly how I um, clamped everything together. I think there was a lot of trial and error because everything was cut at like 45s against flats. So like one end would be flat and then the thing I'm trying to clamp has a 45 degree cut. <laughs> and um, I don't remember if I used like 45 degree blocks against it, but somehow or another I... Um, Oh, no, wait, I remember now. <laughs> it's coming back to me, the horror. <laughs> so, the horror. oh, yes, this is bad. This was really bad. So I I cut it. I cut all the pieces, like, so that it all um, was perfect. Like, it, like it, the tabletop was made, but none of it was glued together. And then I marked everything for dowels. And then I drilled all the dowel holes because I figured that was the thing to do was to just dowel everything, and that way I wouldn't have to worry about the pieces sliding around when I clamped them. Unfortunately, because I'd never done something this big, I made the mistake 
of trying to dowel and glue the entire thing at once. Oh, man. <laughs> so this was like, I want to say a, I think it was like an eight or nine foot tape, eight or nine feet by like four or five feet. Like this was a massive tabletop that I tried to glue all at once, having never done it before. And like I was in the middle of, of gluing this stuff and stuff, it was not going together. Like I had put glue on everything and I'm trying to clamp stuff together and the pieces didn't want to move. So it was it was a nightmare. <laughs> like the whole thing, it like, you know, squeeze out everywhere. I've got gaps awesome. all over the place. Like it was just, it was terrible. And um, I, I, I got a lot of it done, but there was still gaps. So then I, f- <laughs> I filled in the gaps with epoxy. <laughs> but it <laughs> made your own river table. Well, it wasn't tabletop epoxy. It was like you know weld bond. It was, it was the oh, JB weld. <laughs> yeah, JB weld. You know, it was it was the wrong kind of epoxy. But I'm like, this will work. I'll just I'll just squeeze it all in the cracks, and no one will know. You know, it'll be fine. That's not gonna come apart. You know, and so now I should point out, this is all pallet wood. Okay, none of this is, and and this is way before I knew anything about wood movement. It, mm. it took me years to understand wood movement. And I put this whole thing together just based on how the pieces looked, like what kind of, because this is all different varieties and species of, of wood. I had like five different varieties. I had like maple and oak and uh, some, some walnut and some uh, cherry. Like I had like every kind of wood that you could get from a pallet. And so I had to drive I'm in Pennsylvania I had to drive this thing into New York and install it and I had very little like I had a picture of what the legs looked like so I had to bring like a whole toolkit with a whole bunch of different screws and I just had to pray that like I could make this thing fit and um, I got it you know I got it in there and it, it worked you know it, it's a table and all that and I had to come back to her office like I don't know, like a, a two or three months later, maybe a little bit longer. And and as I get there, she she meets me. My friend meets me at the door, and she goes, "I don't want you to be upset, but something happened with the table." And I'm like, I, "I'm a, I'm not going to be upset. Well, what happened?" She goes, "I don't know. Something's wrong with it." And I get in there, and it had it's warped. Possessed. The entire thing had warped. <laughs> Everything, all the joints were separating. Like it was just like it was like it did look possessed. What'd you do? Yeah, and, and so <laughs> I, I looked at it. And, <laughs> what did you do to my table? <laughs> so this is like a, this is a like a, a radiator heat like you know pre-war uh, New York you know like a probably like a converted warehouse kind of a building, and I you know like the radiator was like probably like four feet in front of this table, and I, I just looked at it and I'm like. Uh, I, I guess uh, the radiator heat warped it. <laughs> wow. That was thinking on your feet right there. Well, no, I honestly thought that's what it was. Like, I had no idea what the problem was because I had used so much glue. I used the wood glue. I used the epoxy. I used the dowels. I'm like, there's no way this is my fault. <laughs> so, so, you know. There was, but you could you could see like if you're looking at the table, you could see the floor. Like that's how big the gaps were. 
It was it was horrendous. But it stayed together. It did not come like it didn't fall apart. It was just there was there was gaps from all the wood movement. Um and and that was that was the only table I've made that I've sold. Uh, all the other furniture I've made has been uh shop furniture like workbenches and things like that and all kinds of mistakes were made making those things. Um but I think probably the only thing that I'm happy about is I made this workbench, which, again, this I made this early on before I knew anything. Um, I can't remember the name of the... Uh, there's a style of workbench where there's like a, a cutout in the middle that you can kind of remove to put clamps in. Um, Rubo. Rubo? A, Rubio? Rubo. Rubo. Yeah. So I had, I had seen several people with these Rubo benches on Instagram, and I'm like, ah. Oh, I need to make one of those, not knowing anything. Like I didn't, I just, I, all I saw was what it looked like on the outside. And I'm like, I could do that. I could make one of those. And I had, prior to the decision to make that, there was a house that had been, um, it had been bought by the town. Uh, there was foreclosed on, the town bought it, and then they decided to knock it down. And when that happened, Every every day that like when the guy would leave, there was a guy with like one of those excavators just knocking the house down. Every day he would leave, I would run across the street and I would grab all the wood. And I was grabbing like all the like hundred year old lumber. But then right before it was foreclosed on, they had been doing renovations. So there was also like A1 prime lumber from Lowe's mixed in with everything. So I was just grabbing everything. And when I decided to make this Roubaix, I'm like, I'm going to use like the 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 prime lumber and whatever you know I grabbed from the house as like the the structure of it to like the the frame and then I all I did was I took all of the um pallet wood and I put it on the outside like I just clad it like you would put like shingles on a house I wrapped it all the way around <laughs> so that it looked nice but the the inside was all 2 by 4s and um I wanted I wanted I drilled dog holes because I wanted it to have um, hold downs and the the wood wasn't thick enough. So then I just started taking chunks of scrap wood and screwing them underneath so that the holes would be long <laughs> enough for the hold downs. And, and it's, it's, oh, it was, you look under there, it's like a total train wreck. And when I got, by the time I got done, I, I mean, I didn't weigh it, but my guess is this thing had to be somewhere in like the, 250 to 300 pound range like this was this was a massively heavy table um and i had to like get my my next door neighbor to help me move it because where it was supposed to go was an elevated chunk of concrete that was that was it was sort of sort of a concrete slab but it was it was in the garage but it was like i don't know six or eight inches above the floor level and i had built the table to that dimension like it was the exact dimension of the slab which which made no sense and also made no sense for the rubo because that needs to be like in the middle of a room to to properly use it but all i had was a garage so so, so that was uh that was probably the most complicated thing awesome. i built um but yeah that's that's about it for furniture everything else is like shelves and you know little tiny garbage pieces to hold things up off the floor you know nothing nothing fancy nothing fancy i want to make the fancy but i don't have room for fancy you know and and let's say i made something fancy 
I don't even have somewhere inside the house to put it. There's 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 no room for that. So and I can't store <laughs> P- it. I PJ can't. says things like this, like yeah. I offered to just give him a lathe, and he's like, I have absolutely nowhere to put this seven by fourteen lathe. Nowhere. Yeah. And then between then and now, he's he's purchased twenty seven more bandsaws. <laughs> I don't know where he puts them, but there's always room for more bandsaws and drill presses. Yeah. I have uh, that Walker Turner wood lathe that I picked up at the beginning of January. Mm-hmm. It is still in my truck, sitting in the driveway, <laughs> because I can't even unload it. I can't. There's nowhere, literally nowhere, for it to go. So until like the snow melts, and maybe I can throw That's something awesome. out of the out of the shed. I got nothing. Well, sucky darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial energy lubes and stuff. Hello, this is Chet down at Keith Johnson's Hardware. Are you a furniture maker? Do you have a problem with glue squeeze out? We have just a solution for you. Introducing Johnson's GlueVac. That's right, we have just the tool to suck up all those little blobs that you can't stand touching. The GlueVac comes with so many attachments, we can't name them all, but here's a little sample. We've got the drip sipper, the puddle picker for excessive glue, the smear smacker, and the crevice creeper. We can get a glue out of pretty much every single part of that piece of furniture, so you don't have to touch it. Now, I do have to warn you, keep away from full bottles of glue. You don't want to see what kind of reaction that creates. Also, please wear the included protection suit when using the Johnson's Glue Vac. May cause blindness, and please keep away from pets and small children. If you would like to buy your very own Johnson's Glue Vac, it's in our vacuum aisle for only $42.95 and comes with 87 attachments. You can contact us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills. What the heck, Nabbit? I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, it's time for crossbreeding. Keith? What skill goes well with furniture making? Problem solving. Excellent answer. I'm a big fan of problem solving, for sure. Mm. Tom, what skill goes well with furniture mm-hmm. making? Well, problem solving. I mean, I'd like to back up our guests You here. can't pick the same thing that Keith <laughs> picked, Tom. We've been over this before. <laughs> oh, I always forget how things work on this show. Um, yeah, sanding. Sanding is a skill. Yes. The dreaded the dreaded sanding. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Let's not elaborate. No, we're not going to. Tanda, what skill goes well <laughs> with furniture making? Oh, I would have to say design. Oh, yes. Yes. Definitely. 100%. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful answer. Wonderful. Good answer. Good mm-hmm. answer. Definitely definitely need to be able to design the furniture before you build it or you can end up with boxes. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, as for me, I'm going to say the skill that goes well with furniture making is table sawing. Yeah. Table sawing. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's that's true. Yeah. If you like, if, say you make a cut, table and it gets all it warped, warped and crooked, then you could probably resaw it and then put it back together square. Well, if you re-table sawing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> I mean, if you made a table, okay, and it was crooked, you need to put it then, on the table saw to make it straight. How else do you get it straight? I mean, I don't know what else you could do. I have to. Man, think of all the things people make with table saws that aren't tables. I know. That's I a mean, that's a misused tool right there. Yeah, so many things I could talk about here. 
but yeah, yeah, table sawing. <laughs> That's number one Man. in my book. I, I have to, this is the only time I'm going to be able to talk about this. So the dining table that I made out of eight quarter walnut has a slight curve to it from <laughs> on the short on the short side, right? It's very it's very slight. I think it's I think it's just like an eighth inch dip from end to end, and it's a wide table. It's like a forty inch wide table. And I set up my jointer so perfectly. And I was like, okay, you got to do it so that like the edges are opposite. So you run mm-hmm. each edge opposite on the jointer so that the error cancels out, right? I did it. I did it backwards and I magnified the error. <laughs> but my joiner was so, my so, joiner was so dialed that it still that only, it was only contributed an eighth over forty inches. <laughs> Wait a minute! I've oh, made never. a barrel. <laughs> oh my gosh! I don't know how I screwed that up, but I did, and uh, it's glued together. And we've eaten Thanksgiving on it, so it's over. It's, it's there <laughs> it's forever. Broken That's okay, Tom. That's okay. We believe that you screwed it up. <laughs> <laughs> And now it's time for Give Me Your Best Guest. Yeah. All right, Keith. We know that furniture making is your top skill, but Give Me Your Best Guest is where we get your top five. So what is skill number two in your repertoire? Just to be clear, procrastination is not a skill, right? No, that's an excuse. Oh, yes, it is. Absolutely. <laughs> Shut up, Tom. That 100%. is not a skill. I practice. No. I've, I have used that nope. before, I think, as, no. a, as, as a, a skill. skill. It's not a skill. We, Keith, if we have... Keith, if we have to, we can do this entire segment in a sidebar. Okay. <laughs> I'm willing. I'm wi- <laughs> Not we can happen. we can we can decide whether it's a skill later. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we the discussed no. actually already the problem solving. That is is definitely one of my my skills with furniture making. But another okay, skill is solving. I, you, you, no, 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 yeah. no. You can you can use problem solving with if you anything you've mentioned yep. before is still viable. Oh, it's still here, up for grabs. You know, okay. still up for grabs. So oh, yeah. the the problem solving is that something you developed on your own or were you taught? Yeah, I developed kind of on my own when things didn't work or if I didn't know how to do something. It's trying to figure out how to do what I want to do. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. all yep. trial and a lot of it's trial and error and just figuring things out. I mean, furniture is kind of there's so many different ways that you can build furniture, different methods, different joinery, different techniques, and sometimes you hit a spot where like, oh, how am I gonna do? I have an I have a forty five or I have a you know a five degree splay on these legs, but it's meeting a ninety degree stretcher. How do I want to join this? Or what's the best way? to make this joint you do some very you do some very tricky joinery you really do and i i don't know why you do it to yourself yeah we can talk about that on another show yeah it's all kind of challenging myself it's brutal what you put yourself through i kind of go into every project trying to uh challenge myself try something new that i've never done before to to keep testing Mm -hmm. to keep improving to keep just getting better i don't want to stay at the same skill level and i think everybody kind of does that you, you start off basics and then you just try to keep working on up trying to get better sure that's a good way to do it you know you constantly want to be engaged in whatever it is you're doing so mm-hmm. yeah challenging yourself is definitely the right way to go what is skill number three Right now, I mean, it's related to furniture making, but it's not really furniture, but video editing, like 
capturing all my mm-hmm. furniture builds on video for people <laughs> to watch. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It 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 didn't start out that way. Instagram changed the whole landscape for me on how I approached building furniture, documenting furniture. And I remember, you know, when it first started, it was just you just take pictures and post it. And then I started editing and creating videos of showing people and uh, just a mass amount of interest on on people seeing how you did different joinery or how different things came together. So I've kind of honed my video skills. I have no background in any of that, but I, and I wouldn't be able to edit for a TV show or some big blockbuster movie. But editing for a 30, sec, 30 sure. to 60 second video on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or, you know, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 minute video on YouTube as well. I've found those are just two totally different things because I film differently for Instagram than I do for YouTube. Instagram, I love the up close shots. So you can actually see the work being done, not from a, you know, a lot of people set up a time-lapse mm-hmm. camera from across the room. It's like you can't see anything. So I like to for people to mm-hmm. actually get in there and see the nitty-gritty details of what's being done. So that would be my number three skill, whether you like my video editing or not. I consider it satis- oh, that, satisfactory. That's, that's, a, that, that's definitely a, a completely separate skill. I was kind of laughing because you st- – you, preface that by saying it's related to furniture making and that's video editing and i'm like well out of context that i don't know how anyone would go make that jump right oh this is definitely related to furniture making and it's video editing i I can tell you related to his furniture making i can tell you keith i went to school for it and when i was in school we did not film any furniture Mm. so it's 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 not related what's not related okay okay not related just, just you just happen to be in the proximity awesome. to a lot of furniture. That's all. Your so. videos are very well done. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I, yeah. No, I, I, I appreciate your your style and your videos. They, they move along and and you, you know you you're not seeing this big picture of like just a shop. You're mm-hmm. seeing what's being done. Right. And enough to I mean, and that's why I watch videos is to watch them and and learn th- from them. And so if I can see what's being done. And it's obvious and clear. Then it's a you know, I, I appreciate that. And you and you have something of a story to it, so it all comes together nicely. And I think that's, that's what, what I what for. I'm trying to portray to people. Like I I produce videos that I would want to watch. Like I don't want to watch someone sanding for five minutes or just you know running something through the table saw. Like I I want to see the details. Like I don't watch many YouTube videos, even though I make them. I don't watch many because. Most of everything is kind of an overview. So if I go to watch a YouTube video, it's for something very specific that I want to see, whether mm-hmm. a joinery method or something of how somebody built something. So I try to give people, yeah, more details than rather than an overview. Like I'll do sizzle reels of a full build just to give people an idea of what they could see in a full build video on my YouTube channel. But other than that, yeah, everything is process, process shots. All and right. people, uh, yep. and it just goes to show you, you don't need one of Tom's expensive cameras with these SD cards. Everything I do is on my iPhone. Yeah, <clears throat> that was, I wish I could not buy that again. <laughs> so, For real. I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret. If you, if you gave it away, would it make you feel better? Nope. Oh. <laughs> just, I thought I, it was I, worth a shot. I've got room. I've got room for a camera, Tom. I have, I have small oh. space for a camera. Oh, that he's got I mean, room I, for. I do yeah, like. Yeah. 
I do like having a nice camera for just life, but um, it's you can use your iPhone. It's so just use your iPhone. <laughs> I, I have uh, I don't know maybe seventy something videos on YouTube. I haven't put up a new one in so long, and I'm overdue. But every single one of them has been shot with an iPhone, like mm. going all the way back from like an an iPhone five on up. And when I was in film school, uh, the, the the stigma there was oh we want the best camera. And the thing our teachers explained to us is like, listen, the camera is just a tool. That doesn't that doesn't do anything for you. There are people that actually have gone out. There was um, I can't remember the exact name of it, but I want to I want to say it was made by Play School. There was a child's uh, camera that was eight bit, and it was you you could it was a video camera, but it was an eight bit video camera and it shot digitally somehow and it looked horrendous but someone actually was had used it as a kid or something like that or knew someone and they're like you know what this would be great for this one scene i want to do to shoot it in 8-bit which you know it looks like complete garbage (laughs) but for the story it worked so Mm -hmm. the point is you can shoot with anything and if it fits the tone or the story, um, the the tool is is just a tool. It's just like a, just like a saw. You know how many different kinds of saws are there? They all do the exact same thing. It's just how are you using it? Mm. You know. So you know Izzy Swan has got his saw. He's making bowling balls. You know. <laughs> so it's just it it really depends on how how much you understand what's possible with the tool. So mm-hmm. right. keep using your iPhone. Hey. I shot my first video on a rotary <laughs> dial phone. Yeah. yeah. See, Tanda knows what's up. <laughs> All right. What are we at? Number four? And we're at number four. I think, I mean, as a skill, I think the ability to build, like look at anything and kind of build anything. Like I, I can look at a, at someone who built a dresser and figure out how to build it. Like I don't need a diagram. I don't need plans. I just kind of know. I can see in my head how all, the, and it, 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 it's it's taking the basics of joinery. Like everything is, you guys know, whether you're doing 3D printing or metalwork, anything, everything is a series of steps. You start with one thing and you just keep building on that until you end up with a finished product. So being able to look mm-hmm. at a piece of furniture and break it down into its smaller parts, a lot of I think some people have difficulty doing that. Um, whereas me, I like I love going into whether it's a restaurant or a store and looking at something and trying to figure out how they did it. And then in my mind, I'm like, I would do this totally different. Or you know what, mm-hmm. I would probably do that the same way. So we've yeah, actually- or some or sometimes you see something and you're like, ah. That's clever. I see how they did that. I'm going to file that away. Yes, absolutely. And you kind of, and if you're cognizant of it, you develop this library of how how things got made. Yeah, we've talked about that before on this show, Keith, and and that's actually what I term as engineering. Okay. Yep. Tom disagrees with me, but I think it's engineering. Mm. If you understand how things go together, you know, it's kind of grokking. Okay. I heard my name. What are you talking about? Nothing, Tom. Go back to sleep. <laughs> All right. We're on skill number five, your final skill. Round us out here. I think this comes back to the video editing part, but it's I've, I've been told this many times where I, in my videos and woodworking, I make difficult things seem approachable. 
Like it's not as difficult or don't be afraid to try something to try this. It's really like I just said, it's just a series of steps that you have to go through. So taking something that looks difficult, but making it easy and approachable. And so people will actually try it. I think a lot, I get a lot, you know, teaching people are scared. Number one, to try to use expensive woods because they're afraid they're going to ruin them and it's going to be a waste of money. Um, or you get people like, oh, I use pine, I'll just stain it to look like walnut. Well, just buy the walnut. And I think pe- what people also don't realize is when you use hardwoods or more expensive woods, they're actually easier to work with than pine. Pine is very difficult to work with mm-hmm. because it's so soft. I mean, it dents ridiculously easy, but it's also, you have to have super sharp, if you're using hand tools, you have to have super sharp hand tools to use with pine because otherwise you're just like crushing fibers rather than shearing them. So when, uh, when I, I mentioned some classes I'd taken at Con- Connecticut Valley School of Woodworking, and whenever we were cutting dovetails, doing any chisel work, it was always on, or testing the sharpness of our chisels or planes, it was on pine because that's when you really know that you're sharp. Like if, if, you're, if you shear hmm. across end grain with a, pl- with a plane or a chisel, and it just like crushes those fibers and you, you get this weird kind of squeaky noise, you know, you know you're not sharp, but if you get that nice, crisp shaving that goes across on the end grain of pine, you're sharp. I, I, okay, so I think that's a, that's a cross between communication and teaching, which are both skills. Um, and, you, yeah. and this has been brought up several times in, in this podcast. I just want to say I hate pine. I don't, I don't <laughs> like pine at all for mm-hmm. anything. Um, yeah. you know, we, uh, we had Jackman on, and I, I said it then that I didn't like pine, and he said, well, what about your house? Your house is made of pine. Isn't that, is this still garbage? And I, I, he, he stunned me for a second, but I, I should have said, yes, Paul, your house is garbage. Yes. That's, that's what I meant to say. Well, I, I have pine. I have a, a, some really, like, you know, I don't know, maybe 200 pounds of, of pine that just came back to me, so I can't claim to like it. All mm. right. But, uh, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Like if well, you get into old growth say. pine where, you know, those the grain is super tight or even southern yellow pine, those are different than or eastern white pine is very nice. to. You know, that's what you kind of use for Kumiko panels. It's very nice to work with. But as far as making a piece of pine furniture, I've only made one. And that was the dresser I alluded to earlier that I built for my sister way back where the first piece of furniture. And it's still alive today at my mother's house. It still sits there. It's nice and all. But I just don't like the look of pine itself. I have, uh, I don't remember how long they are, but I have uh, two or three pieces of 300-year-old pine that someone mm. gave me. Uh, they're not small. I want to say they're in like somewhere in the six to eight-foot range, and oh, wow. they're thick. They're, they're like probably eight-quarter. These are, these are chunky pieces. And like I got them, and I put them like, in the in the dungeon for storage <laughs> and i have not touched them in like three years like that's mm. they're probably like i probably won't touch them until i move because i don't it like as far as pine goes this is probably like the best pine you can get you know yeah. the old growth tight ring stuff but i have no use for it like i just don't like it mm. you know but that rounds out our our skills for uh, for this round was that our best guess? I don't know, but it was a guest. 
All right. It's time for short and sweet. We're going to wrap up the show. Keith, you got anything you want to say? Well, I am kind of, I wanted to get your guys' opinion on something. On, Go for it. I, I, I don't need a long-winded answer. I prefer just a this or that. Which first, 3D printer or CNC? That's cruel. Oh, CNC. I, I think for you. Yeah, for, you for you. Yeah. I think CNC. I mean, I think you'd find a whole bunch of really cool, fun stuff to do um, with the 3D printer. Mm. But I think for furniture making yeah. and the sort of stuff you do, the CNC, um, you know, much like Paul, it would just open up a whole new realm of well, things you could let me, do. Let me, ask, let me ask one qualifying question. How much is a CNC? Are you talking about the shaper? Or are you talking about a full, like, bed? Well, that's the problem. And I'm in the same kind of position, PJ, where I do not have room to put a CNC in my shop. Mm. Um, so that's where the Shaper Origin would be ideal. Uh, you know, I was actually looking right. last night, like, right, how so big if could I fit? Like, what's the maximum size CNC I could put? And it really comes down to a 16 by 16 cutting area. Because even the 16 by 16, you end up with, like, a 3 foot by 3 foot footprint. Right. You know, with right. the stand, you right. know, it's just too big. Although these days it's right. not really an apples to apples. I mean, a 3D printer is yeah. like, you know, a, a, even a moderate CNC can be 10x the price of a of a decent 3D printer. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And to my point, buy both. So if you're going <laughs> to if you're going to get a sh- if you're going to get a Shaper Origin for 2500 bucks, yep. I think, um, 500 bucks buys you a Prusa Mini. And like, what's the difference between twenty five hundred and three grand? If you say five hundred, oh, we can just have the episode. There now. you, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Buy a three D printer and print a CNC. Yes. There you go. Solved. Okay. Solved. So. No, I would. I want a Shaper Origin for you. I would say three D printing is. I mean, I can think of a million things, and I am making a million things, but. Um, a CNC is just so close to what you do now. Yeah. I think it would. Ex- I think it would expand. And you like getting into new c- and new methods and new things. Right. And I would love to see what you do with the Shaper Origin. Just let me know when you think you're going to buy it, <laughs> so that I can start saving my money. Because I'm going to have to buy it that <laughs> way. Okay. <laughs> maybe we'll get a two for one bad. deal. It's going to be bad. Well, it's, oh yeah, maybe. Some, oh, sometimes maybe. just having a tool around and using it for a bit, though, will completely inform like the way you approach things. I was thinking as you were. Uh, Talking about your your pill-shaped cabinet mm-hmm. and making the the laminated ends, and I wouldn't have thought to do this before I had my laser cutter, but I've made a number of things that would have had some kind of like curved feature, and instead of trying to bend it, I just cut that curve out of a whole bunch of pieces of material and stacked them together. Yes. Yes. It yep. Vertically, yeah, bricked them and up. I wouldn't have thought of that if it wasn't for the tool sitting there making that really easy compared to bending something. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, oh, I'll just I'll just cut this curve out, um, this curvy shape vertically, and stack a bunch of them together to to achieve my curve. Or even because I can do it precisely, cut half the curve so I can nest a whole bunch of them together. Sure. And then alternate that joint you know between the two as i stack them yes. to cover up the joint and you know things like that and you have a different tool and you're like it just opens up different approaches to things right yeah so while tanda was talking i was holding up my uh my bandsaw knobs 
for my uh, my replacement deluxe knobs for 14-inch uh, Delta bandsaws. What I was trying that's to show kinda, you, that's kind of that's kind of unseemly. <laughs> while I was talking, <laughs> I'm, I'm not. Wait, is this short and sweet? <sighs> Thanks, Tom. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> the point I was trying to make is, uh, Tom designs like utilitarian things, uh, mostly. What I was trying to show you is that you can paint with a 3D printer. You can use the color palette to design mm -hmm. something that otherwise would not really be easily made. Um, so, like, I know you're looking at finer detailed stuff, and we sort of talked about this in the pre-show. 3D printer is going to take you, it's going to take you a while to get your brain thinking in that manner. And then I think once you do, you're going to find that there's things that you can do that accent your work that are not what everybody else is doing with them. And uh, it's, but there's a, there's a handshake you know, that needs to take place between the printer and your brain, and it's not something you can force. It just kind of has to, like, one day it'll just click. Kind of like when you all of a sudden understand wood movement, where before it was like this mystery that you don't understand why everything's cupping, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, now I get it. Wood rings. That's what the problem <laughs> is. Everything's trying to bend, you know. This so, stuff is made from trees. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's it'll happen. But uh, to Tom's point, um, the printer is much less expensive than the mm -hmm. shaper. Um, you know, footprint-wise, it's, it's also, you know, less intrusive. But uh, I think that for you, um, for what you do, the CNC is going to be used quicker than the 3D printer. The 3D printer, you're gonna, I, I'm going to ballpark it if, like, from my experience, from some of the zero experience with it, you're probably going to take like six months. That's what it was for me before I started to think in that language. Mm. And then from there, it'll start to develop. Um, so, yeah, right away, the CNC would be better. But long term, probably the printer, because there's things that you, you can you can create um, that otherwise you, you just can't do. It's, it's a manufacturing plant, mm. a miniature manufacturing plant. So are, now, are, were you thinking of the shaper, or did Tom just imprint that on you? No, I've been thinking about it or for were, a long time. Or were you thinking time. of more of an XY gantry yeah. CNC? I just don't have room for the XY as much as I would like that. I just don't have the room. So, right. yeah, the shaper. And for what I would use it for, templates, jigs. Uh, I also like to prototype a lot of pieces of furniture, like small scale models to mm -hmm. see how they look dimensionally. So I would use it for that. I mean, I would definitely get a lot of use, but you know, using the shaper, it's it's <laughs> you're bent over, you're you know, you're hunched over, and if you're doing very kind of intricate things, it's it becomes a nuisance to me rather than just letting the machine or programming in the machine. Uh, so, but I've used the shaper; it's pretty awesome. But it just like anything else, there's a learning curve on cleanup cuts and depth and bits and everything else. But mm -hmm. I think uh, I think you're right that it would be the most useful right away for what for what I do because when you're templating something with whether it's curved or anything else like to freehand it on the bandsaw clean it up on the belt sand or whatever it's not, nothing's ever perfect and it's nice right. to have it perfect off the uh, off the shaper or the CNC well said yeah. well said Definitely. Tom you got anything for short and sweet uh, yes um 
well, Keith, thank you. Thank you for tolerating us being here. Thank you for being here. Um, also, the a cribbage board has 60 holes per player. So you either drilled two, 120 holes or 240 holes for four wow. players. I think it was two. I think holes. it was just two. I think it was so 120. Yeah. I was only 120. That's not impressive. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, yeah. Tom's Tom's hard to please. He really you know. is. I was only <laughs> in eighth grade. My goodness. <laughs> I did Slacker. have to mark them all out I too. It. I didn't have like a template that I put yeah. down and drilled in to mark them <laughs> out by hand. Oh man, imagine doing that with a shaper. That'd be cake. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or just, yeah, just throw it on the CNC and have it drill them. Right. Yeah. Tanda, do you got anything for short and sweet? Yeah, the first thing is, uh, I think it's kind of cool that you did, uh, you know, a cribbage board in the shape of your state. They probably tried that here in New Mexico at some point, and then all the kids <laughs> took them home, and everyone went like, "Oh, That's a that, cutting they, board. This, this is cut pretty square on three sides, but this last side, <laughs> I think you got, I think it slipped on the saw a little bit, but otherwise looks pretty good. It's pretty square. Yeah, but uh, I, I would just, I like you know, make sure though. that everybody. Uh, you know, goes out and follows uh, KJ Sawdust and anything that Keith's doing. He's done a lot of really cool collaborations um, uh, with with number of different people. Um, some of which you've delivered to interesting places and right. celebrities <laughs> and stuff. And so some some fun builds yeah. and and neat collaborations. And so definitely go check out Keith's stuff. Thank you. Yep. All right. PJ. Well. As for me, I kind of already said it earlier. If you're the guy that has the uh, oh, the Delta X5 jointer <laughs> that I made the knob for, uh, I need to know who you are because. Uh, oh, I hope this pans out. Yeah, I have Hold no on. idea. All right, if you're if you're if that you, guy, if you're that guy, message Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We'll figure something out. Okay, <laughs> thanks. Oh God. Yeah. If you have this Don't joiner, it doesn't matter who you are, if PJ ever made a knob for you. If you have this joiner, please send <laughs> PJ a picture of it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah, what yeah. I wanted to know. Uh, we do have, it is a momentous occasion. Oh, the cat's on. There he Finally, is. I told we've been hearing you. all about you. this cat. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's Tanda. That's not Keith's <laughs> cat. Don't be fooled. Okay, so... <laughs> Uh, in addition to the momentous occasion of the cat being on the podcast for, <laughs> for the very first time, uh, we have a new Patreon member. Everyone welcome Garage Monkey Sand. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Thanks, yeah, man. He came in at the uh, skill level beginner. So he is now... I like it. He is in in with us. He's entrenched in the uh, the maker skills. Uh, insanity. The insanity, Yeah. <laughs> He warned. He he warned me about uh, TPU sticking to my PEI sheet, and he did it right before <laughs> I was about to print, and that was perfect. Mm. Those, those really some weird. Those some weird uh, acronyms. Really yeah. yeah, I, I yeah. hate it when TPU well, TPU sticks to your TPI sheet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, it. that's that's. And not... you walk out with it stuck on your TPI sheet, and people don't tell you. That's that's yeah. never fun. Yeah, horrible. just don't put it on your TPS report. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I should let uh, Garage Monkey San know that um, there's there's no medical included, so all the brain damage you're on your own. Just 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 letting you know up front. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, um, but I do also so want to thank our other top Patreon supporters, very own Tanda and Creator Nader. And if you would like to be our next new 
Patreon supporter. It's very easy. Just go to patreon.com forward slash makerskills. And if you pick uh, any level besides the beginner level, uh, you get a custom skill or you can get a unique skill. Or if you're at the top level, the god of skills, you can get a guest spot on the show. So check it out. You could be next. And if you buy me a Shaper Origin, you can just have my spot. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram, and you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time.